Call 1-888-FARMERS to switch, and you could save an average of $470 on your auto insurance. That's a lot of money in just a few minutes. With savings like that, you could be lounging on an impractical amount of ornate and overpriced throw pillows you bought for your couch. But you won't, because you're better with money than that. That's why you're calling us in the first place. Call 1-888-FARMERS to get a quote today. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Based on average nationwide annual savings survey data, July to December 2020. Underwritten by Farmers Trucker Fire Insurance. Exchanges are affiliate. Products not available in every state. When it comes to working at GEICO, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she's so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At GEICO, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, GEICO... Geico has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside, she still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Kansas City? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Kansas City. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 13 of Kaiju Curry House. I'm your host, Paul, and joining me today, we have Alex. Hello there. And Joe. Howdy. Today's episode, we are looking at three of our, I wouldn't say favourite, but three Kaiju films that we've chosen for one reason or another. Um, hopefully you've either seen it and can enjoy a trip down memory lane, or we'll introduce you to something new. But of course, before we get onto that, there's the question that has to be asked... What have Kaiju been up to? Alex, would you like to go first? No, I'm going to sit back. Um, I'd like to hear what the two of you have been up to, first of all. <laughs> I want to hear the point. I want to build myself up for it. Go on. <laughs> okay. It's getting, it is getting easier to like, listen. Can you stomach it a bit more now, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I'm habituating to it slowly. <laughs> I kind of feel like we need a jingle. <laughs> what, like a, ra- a radio jingle? <laughs> Yeah, this is like a talk show host, you know, like they do yeah. that, like different segments of the program. Wick. Get like a piano. Wick, Kaiju, Curry House, and what have Kaiju been up to? Right, I'll record that. Yeah, I can see it now. The, yeah, the next step for obviously is a talk show. I think that, you know, once we've made it big in the podcast game, talk show. Paul, what have Kaiju been up to? So, okay, I have been to London Film and Comic Con. It was. Um, by the time this airs, it'll probably be about a month or so ago, but for me it was only two weekends ago. Um, I bumped into two people from the group. Um, Jeremy from to- Toku Toys. Am I pronouncing that right? T-O-K-U Toy Store. Uh, he was a vendor there and he spotted me on the bus. And um, our artist, Kryju, or Samuel, or whatever you want to call him. So they were nice. Very it's nice chaps. goes by many names. And while I was there, I got to see a lot of kaiju merchandise. Um, normally, there's hardly anything there. You're lucky if there's perhaps one stall selling it, but there must have been at least seven or eight stalls this year um, selling a variety of things. Some stuff I had no idea what it was. Um, the majority was NECA, so it's the recent release of Godzilla and uh, Mothra, and they also they had that um, Godzilla vs Kong NECA. But there's also some interesting things like the Wing Kong I mentioned before. So we've got King Kong with wings, which must be a Japanese-only 
version because I've never heard of it before. But he, he kind of just said, "Oh, that's Wing Kong," as if I should know. But um, yeah, so Comic Con very good for Kaiju fans. Hopefully, they'll keep up the stock, especially with Godzilla vs Kong next year. I'm sure it's just gonna keep on going. Just hope it doesn't slow down. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see that if NECA does a uh, Kong, that would kind of, you know, bring things out nicely. Yeah. It's also I mean, good they... to see that... Sorry, Paul. I just wondered, how, how would they get the rights, or is that all part of Legendary? Because that's by Warner Brothers, isn't it? Well, you know, I mean, like, Kong's been in public domain for a while, but I think that Universal had the rights, and when Kong, or Godzilla stopped being with Warner Brothers... Um, it became a like legendary got picked up or this uh, universe was going to be done by universal and universal as Kong. So okay. there we are. Yeah. But it's just yeah, like it's the cool. original Godzilla vs. King Kong NECA model for Godzilla, but not for Kong. So I don't know. It would be a good timing for them to release the original and then the new version next year, but we'll, we'll see what they do. Especially because NECA are doing so well with figures at the moment I've yeah. noticed there's been a little bit of grumbling about the SH Monster Arts um, rendition <laughs> of the 2019 King Ghidorah, which I was quite shocked by, because for how much hype there was about it, quite a few people died, oh, it's all right. Do you guys know anything about that? It's the pain app. That's the long and short of it. He's kind of like a yellowish brown, and it's just one tone across the whole thing yeah, okay and i've i went ahead and i pulled the trigger on that and it's on its way to me now but uh i'm probably going to give it a wash there's some different colors you know like a brass wash or something like that make it pop out a little bit more the thing is is when you just give it that monotone all the detail that the sculptor put into that you don't see it as well so what was the point there monster and Rats? i think I'm just gonna skip on the I think job. especially when Tamashi Nations are charging quite a lot of money for their SH Monster Arts figures these days, because you know it's not like the Bandai uh, Trendmasters figures where you know you pay thirty quid and you get a an all right toy, but when you're paying upwards of a hundred dollars, I mean, how, how much was the King Jidora? I don't want to know. Was it one hundred and sixty pounds? It was in the UK, I believe. One hundred and sixty UK. Okay, I, yeah, so I mean... Yeah, I did not buy that in the UK. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I mean, <laughs> frankly, if you're paying 160 quid, the figure better be decent. Because that, that that's, yeah. that's X plus pricing. <laughs> and yeah, that, exactly. That, you know, it's... You either go cheaper and go, ah, you know, that'll do, it's canny. Or you go, yeah, I want something amazing and I'm willing to pay a lot of money for. So it's slightly frustrating. Anyway, for myself, go on, ask me the question, please, go on. I'm ready. Hey, Alex, Alex, what have Kaiju been up to? Ah, there we go. Um, <laughs> okay, so, like, way better than London Comic Con. Like, are you sat down? You are. are you, Joe, are you sat down? Come on. Okay. I watched Tremors 2. Oh, yes. yes. Shriekers. You know about Shriekers. And there how go. good was it? How good? How good was it? And it was and it it was it was wonderful. There was lemonade. There was pizza. There was laughs. And yes, oh, what a film! So much fun. We're indoctrinating you. you now. Yeah, I mean, thank like... you to the two of you for recommending. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
it's a B, it's a B movie franchise. There's a lot of flaws in it, but like it's great fun. I can see the charm, and I can see why it's got a cult following. You know, just really good fun as an entry. So thank you. That was a pleasure. And I was having a bit of a duff day. I was tired. It was towards the end of term, worn out from marking, and I put that on, switched off. Great fun. Yeah, really happy with that. You know what my favorite part of that entire movie was? My favorite part? It's when Bert finally gets to use his big gun. Like that 50 <laughs> cal like, oh, rifle like that he has. Yeah, yeah. So he uses it. Yeah. He blasts the heck out of that one tree. <laughs> and it goes through everything else. But he also yeah, he just just takes out, the other out holes. their getaway CM. vehicle. It just goes right through their dead oh. getaway vehicle, which is like, they're like, my, my... Bert? He's like, how was I supposed to know? No. My, 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 my favorite moment was, uh, yeah. again, with Bert, obviously, when he's saying about how the wife's left and just mentions how he knew that the relationship was dead in the water because of what gun she took with her. Uh, just, yeah. Just yeah. really, yeah. really, just, I don't know, just, yeah, just silly. Silly, quirky as well. I like, I like, uh, what was it, Earl's uh, relationship with the new guy? I think his yeah. name was Grady. Yeah, it's Grady. just like, yeah. it, you know, he's so green, and Earl's just like, I want this, just this to be mm. done with. You know, it's so funny that dynamic. Um, yeah, great film. Joe, what have Kaiju been up to? Right. Um, I have been drooling at the 1 million years BC Allosaurus figure that X plus teased at, uh, is it WonderCon? I think it is, or, or the model festival they hold over the summer. But anyway, Star Ace has the uh, 1 million years BC dinosaur figures coming out. And of course, that's a Ray Harryhausen um, film, 1 million years BC. You know, he had part to their special effects in there. And... I'm super excited about that, but I'm also excited about the potential because I am always jonesing for a Seventh Voyage of Sinbad uh, dragon figure or a Redosaurus from 20,000 Fathoms. So if they're doing Ray Harryhausen stuff, I am super pumped. And I'm I mean, it's opening it. the floodgates, isn't it? Because... Is this the first one then? This isn't the first time that they've done Ray Harryhausen stuff, X+, Plus, but the stuff that they released a few years back, maybe, I mean, it's high quality stuff, but it isn't necessarily up to the caliber or the size that they're currently going to be offering. So, okay. yeehaw. You like it big. Yeah. So, well, I just like old school stuff. I mean, like the new, the new Godzilla, like the 2019 figures and stuff. Oh yeah, that's cool. But the second there's a Ray Harryhausen figure, I'm like, <gasps> but that, that, that's nice that we're all super enthusiastic about certain aspects of this, you know, fandom. It's good. And let's get on track for our three movies. So, you know, fairly early on when we started Kaiju Curry House, we each individually went off and looked at a film of our choice and then we brought them to the table and I think the feedback was that it was quite positive as a format and most importantly we enjoyed it because so long as we're having fun you know screw everyone else frankly so <laughs> let's go way back back in time kids kids don't use that as a life motto please <laughs> We're going to go way back in time. They put you in. They do put you in charge They're, of children, right, Alex? You are in charge of. They, they do. Children. They 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 call me. They call me the <laughs> meme lord, and um, my thank you cards 
genuinely they were like they crossed out the word teach from the front and it was thank you meme lord for everything you've done this year and a tear came <laughs> to my eye it was wonderful um there was a card that a kid ruby that had like super smash brothers characters in it was great um no reference to my teaching ability of course but you know just there we go we're gonna go back in time when there was no color in the universe everything was black and white and sepia joe tell us about your film right so my film is Varan the Unbelievable, which it's kind of a cult Toho movie. Um, it was a made-for-TV movie uh, that Toho did. Um, as I understand it, uh, television was more popular than cinema for a while. Um, or at least, you know, they tried to release a lot of good quality things on television. So Varan the Unbelievable... Um, 1958 uh basically it's got all the all-stars of toho cinema talent there um it's directed by shiro honda which is amazing um he has directed all the best godzilla movies in my opinion music by akira ikafubi who is famous for basically the whole shawa era of music um it just it has all of the best folks working on it and if you watch the japanese version it's actually really good um if you watch the american rehash it's not so good um varan the name actually is taken from a uh, real world um parallel uh varan or varanis is uh Renide. uh it's a monitor lizard so that is what Varan is supposed to be in this film. He is a giant lizard, but he's a little bit special and a little bit extra in that sense. He is unbelievable because he is a water monster. He lives underwater the majority of the time. He can walk on land, and like a flying squirrel, he has membranes between his forefeet and hind limbs, and he can glide around like a flying squirrel. Varan's super monster power is he has very stretchy skin. So if you shoot a bullet at Varan, so to speak, his skin absorbs the actual oomph of the bullet and it doesn't penetrate, thus making him hard to kill with conventional means. So getting onto the story, um, we have a village of people. Um, it's an isolated portion of Japan. Um, they're kind of stuck in their old ways. It's just a really old school type village people are happy and everything but they have, they have kind of this one rule you don't go down to the lake because their local deity um and i am going to mispronounce this folks but um baradagi is like how is his name and um he uh and i guess that kind of takes off because in the japanese uh full japanese uh version of the film um they call him baran I don't know if Baradagi is kind of related to that B instead of V, but, you know, accents, they happen. Um, anyways, don't go down to his lake. Don't mess with him. And everything will be happy. Of course, outside scientists being. Oh, the scientists. Are. I know, right? They just, those scientist people, they just poke things that ought not to be poked. Uh, I thought you the kids. Yeah, well, it, it isn't those, you know, those kids, those meddlesome kids this time. Anyways, uh, 
you have two scientists and of all the things, all the benign, lovely, non-troublesome things, they're trying to catch butterflies. They are uh, looking at ecology. They find butterflies that are native to Russia in this one region of Japan. They're like, oh, that's really neat. We can learn about the history and spread of our insect, or insect friends. So they go looking for these uh, butterflies, which this movie was done on a budget, folks. Um, they couldn't even afford butterflies, apparently. They attached pieces of paper to string, and there was someone off camera with a stick, like, jingling it up and down, and that's how you get your butterflies that these scientists were chasing on film. It doesn't look half bad, but at one point you can see the wire that they used. So anyways, these guys chasing their butterflies, they don't heed the villagers' warning, and they happen to go to the no-fly zone, the exclusion area, so to speak, and... They piss off Varan. What else can you say? Varan doesn't eat them, but they do get squished. And because they get squished, they send more people to find out why they didn't come back or why they got squished. And there's kind of like a scientific, you know, thing. They're going out and looking at it. And they find Varan. And when they find Varan, that that's the excuse for the military to come in. <laughs> and it, it 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 doesn't work. Lo and behold, you know, monsters being you know threatened by the Japanese military in a Toho film that was never going to work. So, um, long and short of it, uh, the local villages destroyed tanks and all sorts of artillery light the local forest on fire. And Varan's decided his peaceful valley it just doesn't have the same appeal anymore. So he spreads his little wings and flies away. And he goes into the ocean. There's, you know, like a bit of pummeling, you know, like depth charges and stuff like that. Let's try and get him out. And it doesn't quite work. Um, this is where like his stretchy skin kind of comes into play they kind of figure out that this is what's going on so they have to come up with a more ingenious uh way to take him out so they're dropping bombs filled with special gunpowder and what they get varan to do is swallow them because he's stretchy from the outside but he's not stretchy on the inside see so they blow up inside of him and Varan's deciding that's one spicy meatball. So he goes back into the ocean, never to be seen again. Roll credits. So it's not a half-bad movie, all things considered. Um, you have the classic scores from Akira Ikafubi, which, amazing. Ishiro Honda directed it. It's got a solid, if a bit linear plot. They're not, they're, I mean, like it's a clear-cut monster film. Varan is the bad guy. There's no necessarily, like, deeper message to this it's just a monster movie it's fun um everything in it is really good uh i have the media blasters dvd that i purchased in the united states which is worth a bit of money now varan doesn't see the actual japanese cut of varan doesn't see a lot of english releases um and i have one and it is a bit of a niche film if you ever see varan Go for it. The media blast. If your friends haven't told you, McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets are back. The ones made with spicy tempura and aged cayenne. But before you go telling friends, make sure you get them first. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba.
For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Master's uh, release of it is really good because it has a making of, which and they basically go and uh, they go to the special effects shop and see like bits of the suit being made and finding out about like what it is. Like Varan Spikes, which are kind of, uh, I guess that character, it's one of his defining traits. The spikes on his back, they didn't even paint the clear plastic tubing that they made those from. Um, basically, they just uh, notched off the top so that it looks like a spike. They used a bit of glue to uh, keep the texture so that, you know, like you couldn't see it was hollow. And it was the simple backlighting from the stage that made them look like they were white. Like it's oh, just okay. ways of cost just ways of cost cutting that they did there, you know, just like all these little bits, but you got in media blasters version, you have that, you know, behind the scenes, special effects, you get to see like Kaiju groupie like us, you know, go to the special effects shop and go, Oh my gosh, you're making this, that and the other thing. Oh, cool. And it's really, it's really fun. So other thing about brand, the unbelievable, there is an American cut. Um, the Meaty Blasters version is the Japanese version. Um, it has no American scenes edited. The American version, I did not like. It's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. So it's MacArthur era Japan. And we basically have the American general, major, whatever. I didn't, I mean, like, it was so terrible. I didn't even commit it to memory. But he has a Japanese wife and he's moved and he's looking around, you know, like all these different places in Japan to carry out his experiment, which experiment that he's been deemed with success of is chemically desalinating water. Now, for you children who don't know what that is, it's basically making salt water into palatable fresh water. And they're going to do this chemically. There is a really easy way to get fresh water from salt water. You boil it and the condensate and the steam, you just basically trap that, and that's your fresh water when it cools back down. The end. Um, the other way that you can do it is you can put it, I mean, if you didn't want to use heat and all that, which is a lot of energy, you can put it under a vacuum and water will boil. If it's just regular fresh water, it will boil at 33 millibar absolute children. And if you take it down a little bit lower because it's salt water, it will boil. It uses a lot less energy, but you will get your fresh water that way. Those are the traditional ways that you can desalinate water. But they want to do it chemically because chemicals, right? So this guy goes to a pristine piece of Japanese Valley. There are locals there, and he is out and out displacing them to conduct his, his experiment in their lake. I mean, he's like, you know, his Japanese wife is like, oh, they've been here hundreds of years. It's a beautiful valley. They've known nothing else but this valley and fishing, and this is their livelihood. He's like, yeah, well, they'll move. And he just wants to conduct his experiment. <laughs> I am not kidding you. It is just that blunt. They'll move. I'm just thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, wow, this is really terrible. I mean, Japanese version started with butterflies, which is a bit slow, but man, this is just offensive. So anyway, um, they run their desalinization of this lake. Lo and behold, there is something living in the lake that does not like this process. So Vran wakes up and lays waste. It's the same uh, stuff that's um, been taken from the Japanese version, which again is superior. And it's just been re-edited to show this major 
um, running away with his Japanese wife and saving her and saying all of this stuff and whatnot. And again, it is just so terrible. So Varan goes in the ocean. The U.S. Navy is chasing Varan. They cannot do anything with Varan. Obviously, they couldn't because the Japanese version didn't have them having a lot of success. So it turns out that Varan does not like this desalinization uh, chemical. And because they have the footage of Varan eating stuff and then retreating back into the ocean post-haste after consuming said terrible thing, what they have worked out in the America Cut is the American guy has deduced that this uh, desalinization chemical is not Varan's favorite thing. And whenever he comes around, they can basically just chuck this at him and he'll go away. Yay! America started this problem, but they're also fixing it. Oh, God, yes, I, I, Very different I tone. I am American, so I'm not trying to be... Yeah, I'm not trying to be harsh on Americans. But at the same time, lordy, that was... An, a cut of the film that just did not need to exist. And I can see why that cut gets such a low rating whenever Varan the Unbelievable comes up. However, despite it having the exact same title and being a recut of the Japanese version, as I've just explained, they are very, very different films. And there are different tones to both of them. The Japanese version, it's pretty darn cool. Um, we get to see a little bit of the villagers and their worship of the Varan idol. They have an idol of them. It's kind of cool. It's like a retro stone carving of um, I, Alex. You're the yokai expert. I want to call it a yokai, but um, you know, it's like a carving of Varan. It's been yokai'd out. It's got a very traditional Japanese feel to it, and that I think that's a really cool thing. Um, I really like the. Uh, all the scenes where you know like it starts out like again butterflies kind of lame but that's a perfectly reasonable you know like mundane purpose for scientists to have in this pristine valley that no one's really gone to i mean like it isn't causing any trouble what are they there for oh, collect insect samples okay fair enough they stray a little too close to this lake disturb something that they didn't know was there it doesn't always have to be this incredible plot device why the scientists were there you know, like you don't have to make stuff up. Scientists do all sorts of boring things all the time. I think Varan nails it on the head. These guys were just doing a boring thing and they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Nope, belie that. Varan's been there for a long time. They were in the wrong place. So it's good. It's like classic Toho. Again, if you listen to the soundtrack, you're going to hear all the classic tunes that you recognize from the Godzilla series. Um, has a classic Toho design. Uh, Varan's kind of like Anguirus, and he's always on the fours and stuff like that, but then he rears up every once in a while to take flight. Cool design. And there, like I said, there's no greater purpose to this, so there we go. That's the film. Okay. Um, my question, my question before we wrap up for the uh, first part is um, given that the American... Uh, sorry, the American cut is so notorious. How would I track down a copy of the Japanese All I version? gotta tell you, dude, is good luck. You might be able to find, like, a <laughs> Japanese DVD somewhere. You might be able to find a bootleg, which I do not advocate, but they release that, they release the Japanese version oh, so rarely 
it's just hard to track down. Um, Vran uh-huh. Features, again, is like a niche kaiju. He's got kind of a cult following because he doesn't have any special powers, so to speak. Like, no rays or anything shooting out of him. He's kind of like Anguirus in that respect, or yeah. Titanosaurus. He's just kind of cool in his own right. But nobody ever seems to re-release this film. So it is hard to come by. I mean, the American version right now, like that American cut, which is terrible, you can watch thought, it if you have yeah, Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. Like on I don't Amazon. want to watch it, though, because from your description, the American <laughs> cut sounds dross. Um, I'm going to say a naughty word, children. It is shit. And it I have terrible. made so much effort to not swear this episode. Granted, my part is coming up after the break, and we're going to take a break now, guys. Thank you. Hey, friends. This is Cam, one of the hosts of the Gamer Heroes podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the show you're listening to right now, and if you are, please consider becoming a patron of the Heroes Podcast Network at patreon.com slash heroespodcasts. Your support would genuinely mean the world to us, and would allow us to cover hosting costs for the website, get new equipment and software, and even make it out to different conventions and events to meet you, our loyal listeners. All Patreon tiers will get you access to the Patron Lounge and Slack, which will allow you to chat and interact with your favorite HPN hosts. On behalf of everyone here at HPN, thank you all so much for your continued support. We really couldn't do any of this without you. And welcome back to the second part of this episode of Kaiju Curry House. My name's Alex. I'm joined by Paul and Joe. How are you guys doing? Very good. Just fine, sir. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well, um, I'm going to butcher his name. Um, Guillermo del Toro. Have I said that right? Because everyone just says Guillermo. Del- yeah, there we go. Guillermo. Right. I call him Del Toro, just so I don't have to pronounce ah, the first name. <laughs> a connoisseur, Paul. Thank you. Right. Um, Del Toro films. Right. What's the first one that comes to your mind, Paul? Well, quicker. I think of Del Toro. Del Toro. Yeah, quicker. Oh, um, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. Joe. Shape of Water, but I'm a creature from the Black Lagoon fan, so that's not fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. Right. Okay, so we're going to go back to 1997. And this was Del Toro's second feature-length film after the very well-received uh, 1993 film Kronos, which I have not seen, yeah. but it was a, a like a smash hit in Mexico, to my understanding, and you know made Del Toro a big deal, but over there, over in Mexico, and. He um he came over to America, and I'm going to read a little bit what he says, because it's just a wonderful uh, quote I've got here. So he ends up working with Miramax on the production of this film, Mimic, 1997, and he says, I really hated the experience. My first American experience was almost my last because it was with the Weinsteins and Miramax. I've got to tell you, two horrible things happened in the late 90s. My father was kidnapped, and I worked at the Weinsteins. I know which one was worse. Jesus. The kidnapping made more sense. <laughs> I knew what they wanted. <laughs> at least he's honest. Now, you're probably thinking, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> at least he's honest. You're probably thinking, why introduce my film that way? Because it's an unusual film in its own right and the thing is when i watched it as a teenager i I enjoyed it for what it was it was a goofy horror film and i didn't know anything about del toro so i didn't know he was a big deal i'd not seen hellboy i'd not seen um hellboy 2 i'd not seen uh, pacific rim hadn't come out by that point so 
didn't really know the director. So I just watched this horror film and thought, oh, yeah, it'll do. But actually, the backstory around Mimic is far more of a big deal because it's just an absolute mess. So what's the film about? Cockroaches. Cockroaches. (laughs) (laughs) Who said that? (sighs) Um scientists do bad things oh, not, not quite oh my gosh why can't they be like the nice i know i know no no but we can fi- we can we can forgive them we can forgive them because in the first five minutes a dr susan tyler is walking through this sort of this hospital and there's all these coughing spluttering children with fevers and it's very grave and they've got this virus that's been spread by cockroaches, as Joe just calls out there. So Dr. Susan Tyler is approached by, who would then go on to be her husband. This this other doctor says, you know, these children, they're all going to die. And she looks very grave and very upset. And she genetically engineers the Jonas breed. And the Jonas breed is basically this bug that she lets loose into the subway of Manhattan. And it nom 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 eats all of the cockroaches and wipes them out. Then it fast forwards about twelve months, and the virus is gone. The kitties are saved, yay! And they make a couple of cracks about you know how pesky those cockroaches are. They're almost as hardy as the American people, yay! But then suddenly there's this dark figure, this sort of overcoat wearing figure, and it attacks this really racially problematic stereotype of a Chinese man <laughs> oh, who's running away going, ah! running away with his, with his takeout meal as this um, this bug but sort of overcoat wearing man launches on him and stabs the heck out of him. See, look at my language. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> so yeah, he, yeah, we get this monster introduced but the editing is awful because you've got introduction Really, you know, heavy scene. Kids are dying. Oh no, that's terrible. Yay, it's okay because we've made a bug. All right, cool. And then stab, 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 stab. Monster introduced. You're like, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? And that all happens in the first eight minutes. Oh, that's fantastic. And then, ah, uh, and then you get introduced to some of the main characters. You got one, this bloke called Josh, who's acted by Josh Brolin, who would go on to be, um, Oh, that guy that's really famous at the moment. Thanos. Yeah, so he was um, a character in this. And you've also got a character called Manny, who's acted by... um, I'm going to butcher his... No, I'm not going to butcher his name. I'm just going to say a really, really awesome Italian actor who has basically made a name for himself by dubbing lots of Hollywood and lots of Italian films. Really highbrow actor. And... He went on to be in, um, oh, my brain's going. What was the, not, I'm having a senior moment. Anyway, lots and lots of good actors in this film, which is promising. However, they're all mashed together in this circumstance that doesn't make any sense. So we've had the monster introduced, Hannibal, Hannibal, that was the film. So the Italian actor was, have you, have you guys seen Hannibal? Yeah. Not the TV series, as in the film. Yeah, I have. Yeah, he was the Italian guy who uh, gets chucked out the window and then his guts fall out. Pretty awful scene. Sorry, children, that you had to be subjected to that imagery. Yeah. Yeah, no, but like, that's kind of how you will feel while watching Mimic, because 
there's these bugs moving around and then it's fast forward a bit and they, there's these two goofy kids that kind of turn up to Dr. Susan Tyler's um, laboratory that's got no sense of security about it. The two kids just wander in with a cereal box and they're like, hey lady, want to buy a bug off us? And she's not like, um, no, why are you in my laboratory? Um, go away, security. She's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll chat to these two little kids and I'll buy bugs off them. What the hell? Doesn't make any sense at all. Anyway, she cuts into this box and then immediately goes, I recognise that bug. I engineered that. Far-fetched. Really far-fetched. And then sort of picks it out with tweezers. I wish that you could see me doing this. She holds <laughs> it up and then it bites her hand. Ah! And then she's really, really annoyed. She stabs it down onto um, onto a Petri dish. And then it goes all sort of sciency, and she's looking at it. And, she, and then she rings her husband. And she's like, I know what that book is. It's the Jonas Breed. And it got bigger. And maybe it's going to kill other people. And you think, how on earth have you come to that conclusion? And the pacing is just crackers. Anyway, one of the key characters is this little boy who most definitely is uh, autistic and his kind of his gift, his charm, because all um, children with autism in the films have a unique gift. Otherwise, why would they be in the film? They're a plot device. And he sits there with these little, um, these little spoons, silver spoons, and he makes a noise. And what he's doing is he's mimicking the sound of this bug that he keeps seeing wander around Manhattan. And he is a shoe polisher for his dad, the this Italian actor. And they they polish shoes all day long. And eventually the little boy follows Funny Shoe Man, as he calls him, because Funny Shoe Man, which is this bug, which now has mimicked humans. It can walk as a humanoid. It's bipedal. It can wander around. And it's come out of the sewers looking for food. And the little boy watches him and goes, ah, funny shoe man. And then it wanders back into the sewers. And the little boy's like, I'm going to leave my dad and I'm going to go chase it down. Uh, that's a bad idea. But he does. And what happens is... All of the main characters, somehow through various coincidences, get pulled. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So, three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at tmobile.com. When it comes to working at Geico, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she is so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At Geico, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, Geico has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside, she still hasn't met the gecko where are you fella ready to start your career kansas city we're hiring claim sales and service agents apply online today at geico.job slash kansas city into the subway down into the subway deep underground and what's happened is this bug the jonas breed has been living amongst the homeless people 
and its appearance looks like a bloke in an overcoat, and it's been wandering around skulking in the dark, and no one can tell that it's a bug. And occasionally it feeds off homeless people, because no one would know they're missing. Now that works as a plot, because actually... Yeah, it's it's dark, it's sinister, it's pretty grim, but you can imagine that, yeah, you know, homeless people do go missing in terms of where this villain, because it effectively is a villain, where would it live? Yeah, in the subway, fine with that. But the, the main characters, Dr. Susan Tyler and her husband and their assistant, Josh, they end up deep in the sewer, and what basically happens is a bridge collapses, and they're deep down in the ground now, and then they meet up with the Italian dad, and he's like, my son's gone missing, and there's a really, really pissed off black cop who saves the film. Do you remember him, Joe? Vaguely. It's been a while since I've seen this film. Dad, don't watch it again. But um, (laughs) I'm I'm gonna look. I want to watch it again. One second. I am going to end up watching it again. And the thing is, too, is you guys have like let me know that there's a sequel. So if this madness wasn't enough, I want to see where I want to see two sequels. There's two sequels. There's two two sequels. Right, right, I have to see where this madness went. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, Doctor Susan Tyler, her husband, Doctor Peter, Josh, um, Manny, that's the Italian dad, and the little boy, um, yeah, Choi is called. They're all down in the subway, and they meet up with Officer Leonard Norton. And he's a pissed-off cop because, you know, he's archetypical, annoyed cop. He's like, ah, why have I been dragged down to the subway? Well, there's been a missing person. He's like, I don't care about a missing person, even though it's my job to keep everyone safe. And you're thinking, wow, you're awesome. And even though he's having a royally, royally pants day, all he does is sing, and it's amazing. So, like, you've got these characters that are just stuck in a situation together. And Officer Leonard wanders around singing blues tunes, and it's he's amazing. And he carries the film. I mean, I'm amazed that his back didn't break from, like, the weight of carrying <laughs> the film. That's how much he does. So, anyway, uh, eventually... Dr. Susan Tyler comes face to face with this bug because she kind of gets pretty deep in the subway and then it attacks and she sort of sees it in the distance in quite a cool scene. The animation's good. The CGI is good. I will say that in its defense. And this skulking bloke in an overcoat comes towards and then she kind of goes, oh, and then magically works out that it could be it. I don't know how. And then it launches at her kind of in a uh, Transformers-like fashion. And then it springs into action as a bug, flies at her, picks her up, and then drags her deeper into the ground. And at this point, all of the characters are properly separated and they're panicking. And it, that's when the film becomes interesting because it it's all over the place. You know, it's like, Kids are dying, serious, sad, little boy goes missing, but he's a really awkwardly used plot device because he's autistic, and it's it's just, I don't know, it, it's quite, I suppose, insensitively handled, I will say. Um, I think, you know, 20 years has shown in films, certainly in terms of him being non-neurotypical, but 
they're all separated and it becomes again a cat and mouse because it becomes clear that there's not just one bug. You know, the whole Jonas breed is down there and they are breeding. And they start to pick off the characters one by one. There's a tremendous scene when Josh basically tries to make a runner for it. Uh, our boy Thanos, and he's running down this corridor, and he can hear a couple of them waking up these bugs. And they're in the walls at this point, and they hear... And then they start to come out of the walls and wake up, and that's that's done really well. And he basically launches himself up as he sees this um, this hatch in the ground, like this, this trapdoor. And he's like, yeah, that, that's an exit. And he jumps up, and he basically grabs a cable from a computer that's sticking out. Why is it there by a trapdoor? I don't know. Okay, this is Mimic. It's not meant to make sense. He grabs the cable, and the cable basically just pulls everything down with him. So he falls down, lands on the ground. Oh, God, dusts himself down. Now, at that point, the tension builds up. Great. So he gets, like, a chair that's nearby. Why is there a chair deep down the sewers? I don't know. But he grabs the chair, he puts it down, jumps up again. And then you see the shot from his face at the top of the exit. And he just coughs out blood as it's ripped him from bottom. And he falls down. And it's great. It's gory. And that that's kind of why you sign up for Mimic in that regard. Because it's got some really excellent tense moments with the gore. Um, and oh, do you remember enjoying it, Joe? You know, Mimic, just like my sense of it when I watched it, to give you like a parallel of how it made me feel like when I was watching it, it gave like... I saw it after this other film that I'm about to mention, but it gave me Godzilla 1998 vibes because like when there's all like the little Godzillas and they're running away and they're doing all that stuff in the confined space and it's just like blockbustery and the CGI is all right. It isn't necessarily the best, but you know, it's like actually some people die, but they're not the main characters, blah, 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 blah. And they're yeah. getting out. It felt like that, but obviously it was from an earlier point. I mean, it is dark. It's claustrophobic. It's gritty. Yes. And, I mean, it's it's got some strange moments in it. The two annoying kids that I mentioned, the ones that turn up the cereal box, you know, in the lab, they're like, hey there, we're going to sell bugs to a stranger. And like, how about not? But anyway, they do. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of scenes later, these little kids that, I don't know, they're like 10-year-olds for crying out loud. They go back into the sewer and they get a bit freaked out because a guy's acting a bit weird. And then, Wow. It jumps on them and it kills them. Oh. And, and again, like the editing, yeah, the editing's really, really strange because, you know, there's this one kid's like, oh God, oh shit, oh God. And you're like, oh, 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 he's been injured. Oh, oh my God, it's launched on him. And like this little kid gets ripped to shreds and then it jumps on the next kid. And you're like, oh, it's the, the first deaths of the film are this, this poor Chinese immigrant who runs for his life. And then these two little kids, and you're like, Wow, this is yeah, quite unusual. dark. Not pulling any punches there. I'm actually no. It, it doesn't. Am I yeah. right in recalling that it wasn't originally supposed to be meant to be a full length feature film, and that was part of the editing, like malarkey that you mentioned at the beginning mm. of this. Now that that I didn't know. Um, one of the things that Del Toro says about it was that there was a massive disagreement from day one between him and the the Weinsteins because he just wanted to have Beatles in Central Park and they kept saying, no, we want scary. We need a scary film. Miramax are wanting a scary film this season. And he was like, eh, it's not quite what I'm going for. And they were like, scary. Well, I've got this point. Scary. <laughs> Cockroaches will be more scary. And what he said was, he's, 
he was forced to set out to make the best cockroach movie he could. Okay, fair enough. I think he did um, a good job. And the, uh, yeah, you know what? Considering everything, and um, the budget was thirty million, and the domestic gross was twenty five point five million. Oh, okay. Um, not great. Not great. So, a little bit more about kind of the the background issues. So, I mentioned that uh, the Weinstein's, the brothers particularly, they said that it wasn't scary enough. What happened was they leaned on uh, Del Toro and they said, "Look, uh, this is where I'm reading the subtext, but I don't want to make assumptions." They leaned on Del Toro and said, "You're new here. You're new to Miramax, and you're a new director." You're fired if you don't do what we say. And apparently he was very intimidated and he describes that he was bullied by them and threatened with being fired by Miramax, which, if you think about it from Del Toro's position, new director to America, that would have been the end of his career. So it would have been very, very bad news. Now, um, the, I'm going to get a name. It's important to credit her. The actress for Dr. Susan Tyler, the main actress, uh, Mira Sovino, she actually jumped to his defense, uh, Del Toro's defense, and she'd been a pretty big actor for Miramax in those years. And she was also dating Tarantino at the time, as in Quentin Tarantino. And what happened was Quentin Tarantino and Mira Sovino both said, back off uh, Weinstein Brothers and back off Miramax. If you fire Del Toro, uh, basically... You know, Mira would walk, and he got a lot of protection from her, which is great that, you know, she stood up for him. However, it's horrific that it came to that, and yeah. he was kept on, he was kept on as director on the condition that they did all editing. Wow. Okay. So, what basically, well, that's why. Yeah, so what basically <laughs> happened was, yeah. What basically happened was she jumped to his defence, they kind of went, uh, and she had a lot of weight behind her, and yeah, the, the final cut of the release, when it was 1997, was purely a Weinstein cut, and Del Toro then removed his name from the film, <laughs> and vowed to never work with Miramax, or specifically the Weinstein brothers again. Now he has gone on to do some work because the most recent film that he's about to release something about the dark what's it called uh have, have you guys seen that advertised was it sorry that scary stories to tell in the dark one that oh that. those are okay, classic that... books though anybody who's got a science fiction or horror like anything like those are iconic books those are amazing well I think um, what's happened is Del Toro, many years on, after kind of his budding success, well, uh, no, not not budding, that's, that's, that's unfair, his tremendous success, Del Toro was allowed by Miramax, oh, thank you very much, Miramax, <laughs> he, was, he was allowed to do a director's cut, which is the version I've seen, and I still think it's really, really bad. Yeah. I'm going to say it, it's, bu- it's buggy, for want of a better word, but a less good pun. It's a very, very awkward film to watch and just the tone feels off but del toro will go go on to direct the film that paul and joe just named there and he's going to direct that with uh, miramax and that looks promising so that's good um and he says that 
doing a director's cut healed some of the wounds, but not all of it. And <laughs> so yeah, that is where enough. I'm going to... I'm going to end this part and I'm going to hand over to Paul. So thank you for listening to my ramblings. Hey there, I'm Batman. And I wanted to tell you about my friends at the Screen Heroes Podcast. They deliver sweet justice in the form of discussing movies, television, and me. They love my movies. Every single one of them. Yes, even that one. Sometimes they even have me on as a guest, which is thrilling. You can find them at twitch.tv slash heroes podcasts live on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Gotham time. If you can't tune in live, the new shows go up on places like Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Gotham Radio, and Demoscura Live now. Back to your regularly scheduled Batcast. Hello, and welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. We just had Alex who bugged his review on Nimic, and now we're going to go over to Paul. Paul, what have you got for us? Well, Joe, thank you for that lovely pun. Um, I am going to talk to you about a film called Garuda. Have either of you heard of that? Is that the one with, like, the uh, man bird? Yes. Oh! And I've never, I've never heard of it. Right. Okay. Well, I can fill you in now, Alex. And and Joe's heard of it or seen it. I saw a cover. At, this is going to take some people back. I saw the cover at a blockbuster, but I never got to rent it. So sad times. That's the end of my story. Well, us, you you didn't miss much. <laughs> because I'm the mainstream guy, kind of on this, aren't I? And obviously, I'm still going for the most modern film. Um, I've picked a film that, much like um, last time I picked The Host, which is Korean, I've now gone for a film from Thailand. It's um, I googled it, and apparently it's actually the first um, Thailand kaiju film. So 2004, they're a little bit behind there. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> only 50 and years. Only 50 years, but they've, they've caught... I don't know if they've done many since, actually. <laughs> I couldn't find any information on the budget or the box office, so I don't know how well it did. Um, the reviews are normally about four or five out of ten, so it's very average. Um, and that's pretty much what I think, but I'll go into a lot more detail than that. Um, so, Joe, you've already said that, is it the bird man thing? Um, Garuda is a bird creature from Hindu mythology. Um, it's a mixture of both eagle and human. And apparently, you might know something about this. It's a, a vehicle of Vishnu. Um, it appears on the God's banner. It represents birth and heaven and is the enemy of all snakes. Wow. That's what Wikipedia tells me. So it sounds, it's, it's a very religious themed creature. There's no real religion in the film though. So <laughs> it, I was just hear, hearing that. It reminded me of um, you guys talking about Neon Genesis last time. Yeah. But don't worry, it's nowhere near. When we were talking um, about the the a- the Ava units that were like vultures. No, the uh, the way it was the the metaphors of um, birth and heaven and all of this. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, let me start off the film. Um, picture, if you will. There's a like a blood red background back, background, and um, these um, silhouettes of the bird creatures that's telling story. Um, I've made a little note. So I'm just going to read out in my best film voice. Um, 
80,000 years BC on the edge of the ancient, ancient... Oh, God, I can't do it that voice. Okay, 80,000 years BC on the edge of the ancient Asian continent, a tribal hierarchy of creatures ruled the world. Winged creatures with strong bodies flew like birds. They lived in solitude and never bothered other beings. But towards the end of their prosperous era, one renegade came to be. It was stronger and more fearsome, and its shriek was deafening. It killed and ate others. The once peaceful land was flowing with blood. The beast was captured and bound by its brethren before they fled the bloody land, leaving the wretched beast to wail in barren solitude. So, quite dark. Sounding good. Um, we then we've, cut... we've really picked some winners tonight, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> we've got a good mixture. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's varied. It's varied. Yeah, it's very. It's yeah, yeah. It's a very. It sounds really dark here. I typed in Garuda just as you were yeah. talking on Amazon to try and find it on DVD, and the first one that came up was via a VHS te- a tape of the Dream of Garuda, which looks like an adult <laughs> film. So you know, re- re- rewind, I'm pretty, rewind. I'm pretty sure this was not an adult film. <laughs> what do you mean you're pretty sure? What happens later on in the film, Paul? <laughs> well, I'll get to that. There's, um, children, there's a few children, things. you do not know what we're talking about. Don't tell your parents you're listening to I don't know. Stuff. I don't know what the rating was. No, it's definitely not an adult film. There was no funny business at all. Um, and much like Mimic, the cutting is all over the place. So it starts off in 1975 in India. There's um, an expedition. And um, there's this painting of a giant bird um, in a cavern. And there's some bones. So this uh, archaeologist is trying to dig it out, but um, I think there's a, a war going on, and there's like, the bombs are exploding, so it's kind of shaking um, where he's burying his, um, I don't know, his, his assistant comes to try and get him out, and he, he won't budge, he wants this bone, and he grabs the bone, his assistant pushes him out of the way, the assistant then dies in a um, rock slide, and the guy makes it home, only to then die later on, so that's a nice happy story again. Um, we then go to modern-day Bangkok City, and a team are drilling a, I think it's a subway, um, or some sort of train track, and all the scans say, no, it's it's easy, we can just drill through this, but their drill hits um, rock, or something really solid they can't get through, and uh, they, they basically bake, um, break the drill, and it kind of zooms slowly in, and you see there's something in the rock, and then it cuts away again, and we're now, um, still modern-day, of course, uh, we're now with the daughter of the archaeologist that died at the start of the film, which was about five minutes ago. Um, and she is in front of a um, a chair of people at a museum or place like that, and she's trying to get funding to look into the species that her you know, father died trying to prove. Um, unfortunately, they're not too impressed, and um, just tell her, no, sorry, we're not interested in you. Um She's got an American friend called Tim. I don't quite know what their relationship is. I think they're just just buddies, but he's quite annoying. This is where the adult film part takes over, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there he he just chats. So you know, you know, don't worry, they'll you know they'll see sense. And then suddenly a helicopter appears and flies them. They'll see sense, you know, regarding your man bird theory. <laughs> well, that's it. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> obviously they don't believe that there's a man bird but but then 
a military helicopter comes along to the like, museum and picks up Tim and um, the the daughter. The daughter's called Lena. So Lena and Tim are now picked up in a helicopter and taken to this drilling site uh, where they've they've hit the rock. So, and this, there's no scientists actually in this, so you'll be glad. Um, but there is now an elite squad of soldiers. What do you mean there's no scientists? Those scientists have been up to stuff. Paul, do you want a world without science? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I say it's not the scientists that are poking the bear in this film. Also, can we stop calling it man bird? Can we, <laughs> can we start calling it bird person? Because I'm a Rick and Morty fan. <laughs> it's bird person. That's where he went after his film career didn't take off. Bird person. The, bo- okay. the box art for Garuda, the one that I found, it it's is pretty yeah, cool, isn't it? Uh, the big wing. I don't mean the adult film. Uh, no, yeah. like the the you know the one that you've reviewed. Like it, it's it's actually very dramatic with there's the lightning a lot of, in the background. There's a lot and the, of yeah. lightning going on. There is. Well, that's it. The picture looks really cool. That bit at the start sounds really cool. Looks. It looks a little bit like a Tekken film, or like you know, it it, it looks cheesy. Was it cheesy? Yeah, it is cheesy because they've so they've flown out this archaeologist. I don't really understand why they've flown her there. She's <laughs> she's there. She basically looks at this skeleton, this skeleton to say, yeah, yeah, that, that's the um, was it bird bird? It's bird person. That's the bird person. Like, okay, and then they, they kind of lock her and Tim up because she gets a bit mouthy. And he's like, you flew them all the way there for what reason? I don't, I don't know. There, she serves a purpose in the plot, so. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah, there's there's guys with guns. These are these are really you know rock hard mercenary type guys, and now they know there's a bird thing there. They decide to blow the um, rock up, and um, because they're so hardcore, um, one of them he, he's drilling all the holes. He puts all the C4 into this rock. He then everyone else goes to hide. This one guy now he stands with his back to the explosives, pulls out a cigarette. And he lights it as he explodes the rock. And then in slow motion, we see the explosion from multiple angles. All the debris is hitting him and he's just like, yeah. And some rock music's blaring in the background. It's pure cheese. I don't know. I think they're just going, hey, what looks cool? Let's have explosions, guns and rock. Nothing, nothing wrong with that? No, no, nothing wrong. It's just, um, yeah, they're just. I think they're just trying to think, well, let's throw in everything that we think is cool. What's really troubling me about this... Uh, this particular episode yeah. is that you know your film isn't currently available. Is it not? The best? No, it's not. And the the best the best version oh. of Varan of um, isn't yeah, isn't, also isn't available. The one that is available is Mimic, and I'm sorry about that, guys. Can I buy the whole trilogy? You can uh, get Garuda quite comfortably, you know, <laughs> on Amazon.com. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be available in the UK, but I'm I'm looking at one dollar twenty eight to buy the Garuda DVD. Which you know, if you save up for a DVD player, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a five. <laughs> it'll cost you five English pounds to buy Mimic, and you'll feel cheated. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh. Anyway, where were we? Um, right, they've blown a hole in the cavern. Um, Tim and Lena are locked up. And one of the soldiers having a look around the cavern. And he has a flashback to when he was a bit younger. And he's now fighting a giant snake. It's like, oh, now hang on a minute. There's something going on. They, these aren't your normal soldiers. They're, um, they obviously fight kaiju. Wait, 
the enemy of all snakes. It's coming together. It's coming together. Ah, mythos. Well, yeah, yeah. that's what you—that's what you think, isn't it? Yes. It, no, it's not. It's nothing to do no. with you know no. snakes or that. It's just—I think they just want to do a cool creature. But um, yeah. Anyway, these these soldiers are actually god killers. Apparently, that's what they call themselves. Nice. Um, so they are fighting kaiju. I don't know. I don't know how they fight them with guns. I mean, that never works in other films, but these ones are obviously very special. Foolishly, of course, the Gruder is in this cave. Sorry, bird person. And after all these years of slumber and being entombed, no, he's now woken up. Well, <laughs> who would have guessed that? And now they're all firing at him and he's swooping down, killing them one by one. And they're not really that great soldiers, it seems. There's just a, just a couple that really survive the initial attack. They get their asses handed to them. What was it now? Um, the woman, the the woman, the woman kind of escapes, and she's got one of the bones from her father's expedition. And for whatever reason, the bird person Aww. is drawn to it, and so it, it goes for her. But the soldiers save her. So, yeah. but I don't, I don't know why it's attracted to a bone of one of its ancestors, but it is. It must must sense it somehow. So that's an important. Um, plot device for later on. What certificate is this film? I can't remember. In, in, ter- in terms of like for our for our audience, it's probably twelve, maybe fifteen. Okay, so, so this is not like ultra violent or anything. No, no, there's not really much gore. Uh, I don't think they could afford the budget. Um, there's no practical effects. It's all CGI of the creature. Um, sometimes there's no practical effects. I couldn't. I didn't notice any practical effects. If they are, they were. They just look like CGI effects, and the CGI effects are sometimes repeated because they must have been low on budget. It's edited, so they're never really in the same scene at the same time. It's just you see a creature swoop down, and then you'll see that the, the soldier fly up in the air, but you don't see what's holding him. It's one of those types of films. So yeah, no practical effects. It's um, a bit of a disappointment. Um, but despite him, as you see on that um, DVD cover, being massive, he actually has a one-on-one fight with one of the soldiers in a corridor. So I don't know if he changes size in the film or if that um, advert's just, you know, false advertising. But um, it goes a bit Matrixy, and he, you know, he gets his knife out and he he runs at the creature and he slow mo like slices, has a slip bit of a slice and dice, and manages to injure him. But then you know the creature's obviously a fair bit faster and takes him out. Somehow Lena and Tim have survived this. The soldiers that are left try to booby trap um, the cave by putting all these trip wires but Lena and Tim think it's an exit and trying to sneak out somehow just they, despite it being completely pitch black Lena steps over every single trip wire without detonating it Just it's just awful yeah until Come one of the soldier comes in and like grabs her and tells her not to move because she's now just tripped one and they've got to disarm it and of course Birdman creature whatever um Spots this. He's not stu- not dumb, and he goes down to attack, and then um, they basically do a runner. All the bombs explode. Lena and Tim manage to run out and survive, and I think one, maybe two soldiers survive that explosion. And um, Gruder also happens to survive, it seems, because the soldier and Lena manage to make it out to the subway, and as they climb out, they then see some claw marks um, on one of the trains, and there's this. Um, Inspector, who's like yells at them, you know, get off the tracks, get off the tracks, and he's all chuffed with his whistle that he's been the boss, and then everyone just kind of stares behind him 
And he's just like, what's going on? And then the Gruder just kind of eats him. <laughs> and from then on, um, they call some reinforcements. They don't do much. Um, it all goes a bit quiet. They're all outside just kind of waiting for him to come out. And um, Tim, I think he finds like a, a used McDonald's, but he's really hungry. So he goes to, he runs over to it and starts eating it. Um, but it's next to a drain cover and kind of it starts to like vent lots of steam and suddenly Gruder like, comes, just bursts out of the concrete. You know, his wings now fully expand. He looks absolutely massive. Um, and it's like, look at that. This, this is now really cool. He's, he starts to fly off and uh, the attack helicopters come in to get him. It's all, you know, again, rock music is playing. Sounds really cool. There's, um, it zooms out. Uh, do you see all the explosions in the city and you know, all the smoke? People are running. Um, this is obviously where the budget went. And then, I can spoil the ending because you probably won't watch it. Um, it then goes to a rooftop where they're um, having a bit of a fight. Again, Gruder now seems a bit smaller. He's more human-sized. Um, and his wing's being damaged in the fight. And Lena holds the bone and basically manages to make him run at her and fall off the edge of the building to his death. Wow. Wow. Which is pretty pathetic. So it's it's not that it's awful. It has it does have some good moments and it's got lots of cheesy moments. If you were with some friends, um perhaps a few lemonades, I think you would you could find it good fun. You could probably, you know, dub it yourself cuz you know there is goofy moments and there is just plain bad moments. The CGI's budget it's not great, but it serves its purpose. Um, but yeah, it's... I mean, I think I bought it for about £3 off eBay. And, you know, I, I'll quite happily pay that. Um, the only interesting... Not interesting. The only interesting... Um, they do mention that she's a half-cast in this film. Because her father's French. And um, Tim's American. So he's he's labelled foreigner. I don't know if that's typical of Thailand. But um, they don't seem yeah. to like her much. Yeah. You know, a lot of the decisions she comes up with they go you know shut up half cast that just seemed a bit odd but i don't know if that's the norm they're trying to make her feel edgy is it i mean i thought i mean thailand you go to for lots of accepting people not not people who call you half cast or foreigners i um lived and worked in thailand for a little bit and uh, oh really yeah i did yeah um did they welcome you or did they just say foreigner um my crowd were incredibly welcoming, but the slang word that I was often... That's what I always hear. Yeah, incredibly welcoming, but the um, the slang word that I often got referred to as was uh, farang, which just colloquially means um, white person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's... Okay. Um, it's just strange that it was quite a highlight of this film. You know, it was mentioned several right. times. It's a... There's elements of a bit like when the Japanese refer to gaijin, and it can be kind of used almost affectionately, but in the context it could be downright rude. Does that make any sense? Right, okay. That's what you mean, yeah. So, yeah, so like, you know, when I when I was kind of introduced, it would be, oh, this is our Farang friend Alex, you know, and it would just be like, oh, uh, making the point that I wasn't fluent in Thai by any means, and that I wasn't familiar with the customs, and please make allowances for that. So in that sense, it, I was, it was used very inclusively. Um, and, you know, when you think about our friend Amy, her, you know, her brand oh, yeah. name is Gaijin Goods, and like, that, that that's used tongue-in-cheek. But if you kind of had, you know, 
effing Gaijin or effing Farang, then obviously it would be, you know, so I'm not sure about the film. Um, it might just be being a bit edgy. It is time for us to wrap up for the evening, guys. We've uh, run slightly over. But well, before we do, let's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think well, we have gone a bit over, but um, that's, that's well, Alex, you go first, if nothing else. If nothing else, um, Del Toro is evidently a man who has kind of kept going, and he's incredibly talented. Look upon his works, and... If you haven't seen his most famous films, do so. If you've already seen the most obvious Del Toro films, then check out on Netflix uh, the TV series Troll Hunters, which it's kaiju light and it's a kids TV show or a teenager's TV show. But I watched that with my um, with my daughter and she loves it. And it's very much a gateway drug into kaiju culture because it's got loads of monsters. It's got the voice actor from Frasier in and it's great fun. It's a very charming, but in many ways, a very mature TV show for kids. And it's worth your time. That's Troll Hunters by Del Toro. Okay, cool. I'll give that a check. Actually, um, I don't know if you've heard of it. There's a show called The Strain that you did as well that was really good about um, a strain uh, virus um, that kind of makes people like vampires. I don't I think know. he originally I'll did it as a out. comic uh, because he couldn't get the right... Couldn't, no one would fund it as a film and then for some reason the comic did well and yeah. someone picked up as a TV series. I will check that out. Thank you. Pot. Um, and I'll say, if nothing else, yeah. Um, based on my lovely find of Garuda, which I said I got for a couple of pounds on eBay... Um, I'd say, if nothing else, have a look on eBay. Um, just search for like monster movie, B movie, kaiju, and see if you can find you know a, a film you've never heard of and just give it a go. Because I mean, it could be awful. I mean, it might be fun, but for a couple of quid, I think I think it's worth um, having a little hunt round. And if um, any of our listeners have got a suggestion, then please let us know, and we'll see if we can dig it ourselves. There we go. Right. So for my, if nothing else, I'm going to kind of echo what Paul said. If this is your thing, you love monster movies, and you like you know, like this niche kind of fandom that we're all in, when you see a film, like on the shelf or something like that, do go for it. So just to bring up an example, uh, Alex mentioned earlier that Varan is a little bit harder to come by. I just looked up on Amazon.com because I bought it in the United States. And if you want to buy a used copy, it's $68. Ooh. This happens surprisingly often where, you know, a company will release a good edit of a film or they will release the film full stop so that you can view it on DVD or Blu-ray, whatever. And if you don't get it, then it passes you by. So with that said, uh, Criterion is going to be releasing the entire block of Shawa Godzilla films soon. They're going to be doing a great box set with art book, all this cool stuff. It's coming out soon it's going to be like this november december you know in time for holidays and purchasing of that nature do try and find that if you have it within your budget they do a good job when they release things but again just to what echo what paul said like check out ebay check out a lot of these places because if you go on places like amazon or if you don't necessarily know what you're looking for or where to look you can end up spending (laughs) a lot of money on films that were like 12 quid once upon a time so don't pass things up if you think you might be interested what's the worst that's going to happen you know like in paul's case out three quid on ebay to watch garuda so what good advice hey ho and on that note thank you very much i'm signing off have a good night folks or a good day and keep it kaiju (laughs) bye everyone thanks for listening
Kaiju Curry House is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and produced by UK Kaiju with music by Flying Killer Robots. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe at heroespodcast.com or on the various podcast services such as Apple iTunes, Google Play or just about any podcast app. If you want to get involved with the show, please tweet us at UKKaiju and check out UKKaiju.com for the latest news, events and kaiju thoughts from all of us. Thanks for listening. I didn't I didn't drop I didn't drop the F bomb. Are you proud of me, Father? <laughs> I am very I'm so proud of you. My little boy's growing up. Alex, Alex, you should have done Mimic 2. I'm reading about it on Wikipedia. And Mimic 2 is about like one of the cockroaches apparently takes care of people and tries to hand them pizza. But the, like, it ends like the way it is, is like they kill it, but they don't really kill it because a cockroach could live for like days without its head. And it says, however, it is not dead as cockroaches can live up to two weeks without a head. And Remy and one of the students who is now living with her are left wondering how to handle <laughs> the situation. It's a sitcom, isn't it? Yeah. Right, mark my words and keep this in the edit of the podcast. I will go and review Mimic 2. I will do it. Yeah. Mim- Mimic will be the ne- will be my graboids. That that will be my tremors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we made our new McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out and you were streaming tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price Tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.